Hey, Sticks and Stones fans, welcome to episode 14. We got a new sponsorship slash collab um, to tell you guys about. Um, so to get things rolling, um, this episode is now brought to you by Blue Balls Lacrosse. Yes, you heard that right. Blue Balls Lacrosse. What a name. Kid's an absolute genius. Um, love what they're doing. Um, there's a lot of potential, I think, for us to do some really fun stuff in regards to merch. Um, we're working on some social media content together, um, giveaways, um, and much more. Um, so stay tuned to that. Um, if you don't know what they're all about, um, basically their main product is a lacrosse ball, anti-grease, um, and they donate some of their some of their earnings and they work together with Ocean Cleanup um, and some other different companies in regards to cleaning up the ocean, protecting the environment. And they're just doing a lot of great stuff uh, down here in Florida. So it was definitely an easy decision to work with them. Um, so stay tuned for more stuff coming. Um, on that note, to the episode, good weekend. Um, some some tears were shed for the boys after St. Leo finished off their season and sent off some of their seniors, one being our boy Gino. Um, and then on the women's side, they played on Sunday, um, made the trip up to Embry-Riddle, Daytona Beach. Um, and that was a phenomenal game. Um, one of the better girls games I've watched this year, actually, back and forth, one goal here, one goal there. Um, and the Lions came out with a dub, which was huge, um, which puts them into their first SSC conference tournament um, birth since 2015. So congrats to them um, heading over to University of Tampa to watch them tomorrow. Hopefully an upset over the Spartans would be absolutely electric um, leading into the weekend here. Um, but on that note, let's uh, talk to Gino. How you doing, brother? Pretty good. Yeah, can't complain. Uh, enjoying ret retirement. I uh, have no idea what to do with my time. I went to work out today for the first time since, uh, you know, I didn't have to wake up at 7 a.m. for lifts. And it was like weird. I was like, all right, like, what am I going to work out for? Like, we're just going to hit buys in my chest just to, just to get a, get the beach bod going. And, and that's about it. But it's, yeah. it's been weird for sure. Buddy thinks he's got to hit a pump just because he's going on a cruise. Settle down. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but other well, than that, um, you know, we lost that heartbreaker to win um, up seven, one in the first quarter boys thought we were going to roll and then just fucking shit the bed. Um, and uh, a 12 0 run for the, for those that do not know, Lynn went on a 12 0 run. The boy is just heartbroken, tough, yeah. tough, tough. Yeah, that was brutal, actually. So bad, like just so bad. You know, big D midi day for two, three, uh, you know, three ground balls, no big deal. Google me. Um, but yeah, that that sucked, and then didn't really do anything on uh. Saturday night and then Sunday, uh, me and Timmy kind of drowned out our sorrows at a Chili's <laughs> and just destroyed the two for one marks for uh, a little bit of time and then ended up at Ralph's as always. So. If that doesn't scream retirement, I don't know what was. Two 22 year old kids hanging out at Chili's, just housing $3 margaritas <laughs> by themselves at the bar in the middle of a Sunday afternoon. I don't know what retirement is if that ain't it. <laughs> Oh, it was, it was a time, but that's enough of my, my sad story of getting blacked out on a Sunday, um, at Chili's. Uh, we had 
another great weekend of college across. Um, still have no idea what's going on in the Ivy League tournament. If I was having to pick um, the seedings for that, might as well do a blindfold and draw from a hat because their guess is as good as ours. Like nobody knows what's going on. Who's who's better than who? It's everyone's beat everybody by scores that just don't make sense. Um, so definitely fun to watch them play. Uh, and then, you know, we kind of had some rivalry games, Maryland Hopkins, Navy uh, Army. Um, but, yeah, it was a good weekend. Uh, what, what games yeah. kind of stuck out most to you, Chance? Yeah, I mean, I think you you touched on the Ivies. Um, Brown's coming out of the woodwork, um, kind of out of nowhere. I mean, Brown's always a good program, but honestly, like a lot of the other Ivies were kind of more well-known this year, and they were kind of in the forefront of the news. Um, and then Brown – kind of once they got into the Ivy League games into conference they kind of started making some noise I mean this a huge win again this weekend 13-8 over Cornell uh, which is awesome and then following it up um, this Tuesday so yesterday um, they beat Bryant 16-9-2 so an another win add it to the list um, Brown trying to make a, a last minute push to kind of get them into the tournament so it's it's definitely gonna be interesting I'm I'm, I'm excited. I, I want to watch, um, like if, if there's a live stream for like the selection show up for the D1, I'm definitely watching that. Cause yeah. I think there's going to be some crazy twists and turns that people aren't expecting. And there's going to be a lot of people fighting for the same spots. Um, and it's kind of just going to be, all right, let's blindfold each other, pick a name out of a hat. And like, that's, it's fair game because everyone deserves, all these teams deserve to be there. Um, so I, I'm very intrigued and excited to see when that happens. Yeah, for sure. Um, I feel like they do have a selection show. They do. We watched it like when we made it in 2018. Like they did like the NCAA on NCAA.com. They had like a, a live stream of like the selection. And then like they would every time they said like a team's name, like they would show a couple highlights and talk about like their key players and that kind of stuff. They didn't mention Matt Shan in 2018, but I was a little under the radar. Wow, I'm surprised. That's crazy. Did they probably mentioned their like incoming stud freshman uh, after they, you know, that next year in, in me. But... No, they definitely didn't do that. I can definitely <laughs> tell you that. <laughs> um, but but yeah, other yeah. games, I mean, obviously you talked about um, like Maryland, obviously they're f proving themselves again. Like obviously we've talked shit about Hopkins all year and a lot of other people have, um, but yeah, Maryland asserting their dominance and just, literally taking a shit right on Hopkins um, in their rivalry game coming up 22 to seven. Um, I, I don't, I don't see anyone stopping them anytime soon no. with anything. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely interested in maybe a Georgetown. Um, I think they definitely have some defensive pieces that might be able to hold down their offense. Um, but other than that, I, I don't see, I don't see anyone stopping them. No, I don't disagree. Did you see that one uh, like cross crease, sidearm pass from yeah that was disgusting yeah actually gross. just absolutely gross like his vision he's kind of showing that he can be a versatile player which is going to help his um draft stock a lot yeah, um totally. i think that people kind of just see him as a big strong scorer but kind of showing his vision and stuff like that that's really going to help his draft stock and kind of push him into the next level yeah no i agree 100 percent um and then you know still on rivalry s games um, oh, duh, Army-Navy. Let's go over to that. I mean, that's arguably one of the best rivalries um, in college sports, period. 
um, you know, the two military academies um, always got, a, you know, a lot of tradition with both those programs and it's always a good game, but I actually watched it live on the bus. It was a sick game. Uh, ended up Navy coming out on top, which I don't think a lot of people would have expected. Army's been kind of run. I think they were like sixth at the last poll I checked. Like they're having a hell of a year. Uh, Navy, you know, not that they've done anything wrong. Like they're just pretty average this year. Come out on top and OT. Um, Army missed a couple down in the stretch uh, with the last couple minutes of the game. That just whether it was coming up the hash and pulling it a little too high or, you know, a time and room shot that <clears throat> went over the cage. But crazy big win for them. And I'm, I'm sure the midshipmen enjoyed their night after uh, after that one for sure. Yeah, no, that's crazy. I, I would have threw the house on Army for sure. Um, yeah. They've been they've been having a, a, a good season as of lately. Um, and, and Navy has proven absolutely nothing this year other than they're not good. Yeah, um, yeah literally. So, yeah, so that good, good to see that. Obviously, that rivalry is always entertaining um, in all college sports, um, but especially in lacrosse as well. Um, you Americans love that shit. Yeah, we do. Um, and then, you know, ACC, UVA, work in Cuse. Cuse just is not it. I saw, I saw some tweets this weekend, just like some diehard Cuse fan, just like defending them, be like, they need a couple years of like rebuilding and like letting Gary Gates era of recruits come in and um, for him to like establish a culture change and just making every excuse under the book um, or from the book, I should say of why Q sucks this year, because they actually are, you know, like 40th, if we're like ranking all of college across, they're not even in the top 20, not even remotely near it. Um, and I think UVA won the ACC championship, the regular season one, but um, they do um, on Saturday with that win, which is kind of weird just because they kind of have had some weird losses as well. Uh, and then Notre Dame beat UNC 12 to five. Notre Dame's coming. I've been saying it. <clears throat> they were in my final four from the beginning of the year. Um, I think they're sneaky good on O and things are starting to click and um you know, they're kind of stringing together some big wins here down the stretch. And I think they have the potential, um, you know, to make it to make an actual run. I, I mean, they played Maryland early in the season to a two goal game. And I think that's the closest Maryland's played an opponent. Um, let's see. Oh, yeah, it's definitely. Yeah, by far um, yeah. to like piggyback off that, like I've. I haven't been as high on Notre Dame as you've been, but I think they're they're peaking at the right time. Um, I think going into into ACC play and kind of rolling at the right time, it, it's now. Um, these wins that they're getting are high quality wins, and they're getting them at the perfect time because you need to be take the you need to be successful in your conference tournament. One, because they need the wins. Because if they didn't, if they don't win their conference tournament, then they're not getting the automatic bid. Um, so. They need to have some quality wins um, and they also just building momentum rolling into the tournament so they don't get upset um, or they don't get like a tough, a tough low seed. Um, so I think that they're peaking at the right time and I definitely like what they're doing. Yeah, I agree. Um, and, you know, the Kavanaugh brothers are just disgusting. Um, and UNC, I I don't get it with them. They, I mean, they have arguably the best player in college across, you know, in Chris Gray. 
Uh, I know they lost a lot of like key guys on, on, Oh, there's a transfer portal or graduation. You lost starting attackman with Brian Cameron, who's now at Rutgers. You lost starting defender Will Bowen at um, Georgetown now. Like they lost a couple big pieces, but they just have not been able to string together here down the stretch. And uh, I don't even know if they're going to make a tournament. I doubt they will, I'm being honest. Yeah, no, I'm I'm not sure in regards to the tournament aspect of it. I, I I've liked I've liked what I've seen from them when I've watched games. Like they show spurts of some good offense strung together they have pieces still like they have pieces to fill around Chris Gray but yeah it's it's tough to see because they do have a great program and uh, coach Breshi is the man and he's um, kind of been a staple for college across so recently um, but yeah it's I think they definitely they graduated a lot I mean losing guys like Justin Anderson Tanner Cook um, like those are key pieces through the midfield that would have helped them down the stretch. Um, so I, I think that they're definitely lost some stuff. And that was a concern at the start of the year was, is it just Chris Gray? Does he have anyone else? Um, but I, I guess it's, it's showing that he, he isn't enough to control a whole team. Um, but at the end of the day, he's still realistically going to go first overall um, as he should, he deserves it. Um, and he's going to have a great career professionally, even if his NCAA last season gets cut short. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then kind of the last game here that really kind of jumped off the page to me was Richmond absolutely working high points, 16 to 5. I mean, I, I, I mentioned it last week just that those were the two teams kind of fighting for that 2-3 spot. And I expected that game to be, you know, OT, one or two goal game. Um, and just the contrary, Richmond just came out and balled. Um, and astronauting only had like one one point or one goal. Um, yeah, had one goal on four shots. Like that's your best player. That's your staple. Of that program, like all American, and uh, he's only getting off four shots. Like that's crazy to me. Um, and Ryan Lanchbury, he's a Canadian, right? Yeah, Burlington boy. Seven points, um, and they had like you said, mentioned it. Um, last week about Maryland, I believe, or it was Rutgers that they have like balanced scoring. Like um, Richmond had one guy with seven points, two guys with four guy with three, like very, very balanced scoring and like point distribution. Uh, so that's, that's impressive. I, I'm curious if they, um, you know, they have a better game against Jacksonville, maybe squeak in beating, beating Jacksonville would get that automatic bid from the SoCon tournament. And, um, maybe make some damage in the NCAA tournament. That'd be crazy. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I definitely think that there's potential there, um, to say the least. Um, Richmond, I, I I've been impressed with them. Um, and you mentioned Lanchbury. When he shows up, he's he's a stud. I mean, he's gonna have a great career, um, NLL wise, and um, I, I think he could definitely make some noise PLL wise too if someone took a chance on him. Um. But um, I think I think Jacksonville, Jacksonville Richmond is going to be big. I mean, if I was to rank it even before that high point game, I think I would do Jacksonville one, Richmond two, high point three. Um, but I think Jacksonville and Richmond could intertwine. Um, I think that game is going to be something to watch. Um, so definitely, definitely will be tuning into that for their conference tournament, and then see what happens for them getting into the NCAAs because they've both got some, some sneaky wins over some big time opponents. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then kind of kick it over to, to this weekend's games. Um, 
got some good ones. Another rivalry game with Ohio State and that team up north, uh, OSU-Michigan. That's a classic uh, rivalry. Um, usually not too much of a game just because Ohio State's way better than Michigan, but Michigan's kind of sneaky this year, um, kind of playing some good teams to close games. Uh, so we should see how that goes. And then Yale-Harvard, uh, who knows if that's going to go. Um, Princeton plays Cornell, which should be a, a very good game and interesting to see uh, how that pans out um, for sure. And then uh, Penn plays Albany. Uh, nothing too crazy there. Uh, and then on Sunday, got the ACC tournament. We got Cuse playing Notre Dame and Duke playing North Carolina. Um and I think that'll be that'll be a sick game, for sure. Damn, yeah, those, those Su- Sunday, Sunday fun day. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Damn, at twelve and five thirty, we might need to, might need to. Oh yeah, those would definitely be on TV too. We might have to find a little Sunday happy hour and um, definitely get those on the TV somewhere. Um, and it's weird, like they play so Sunday May first, Syracuse plays Notre Dame, Duke plays North Carolina, and then. The next week, Saturday, May seventh, Notre Dame plays Duke again, hmm. which is weird. I don't know, just to like you know, boost strength schedule for you know both teams. I, I'm not sure why they why they why they're doing that, but um, curious to see who who comes out on top in that in that tournament and watch Syracuse win and get the automatic bid. Um, I, actually, I'm not sure if the ACC tur- or I'm gonna look that up. Are you talking like when tournament starts? No, I don't know. Does the ACC give um, uh, automatic qualifier for lacrosse? Um, I mean, they're the biggest, like the most well-known and highly qualified conference. So I, I would, I think I'd be stupid to say they didn't. Yeah, uh, I agree. Um, ACC but does I mean, not have an AQ. Okay. Um, there are 10 teams with automatic qualifier. Um, remember, the ACC does not have an automatic qualifier because the conference needed six teams to qualify for AQ, and ACC only has five. That's interesting. Mm. Um, I was going to say, watch watch Syracuse pull out a run, make the freaking tournament somehow, and just prove everybody wrong. Um, <laughs> That'd be crazy. Um, but no, the, the ACC is going to be interesting. I mean, like I said, Sunday fun day. You got Syracuse, Notre Dame at 12. I think I'd be stupid to, to not roll with Notre Dame on that one. But again, you never know. Um, and then you got the next one right after at 530, uh, Duke UNC. I think I'm going to go Duke on that one. Um, I think I think Duke's got potential there. Um, and yeah, I mean, speaking of like making picks, um, now that Gino is a retired athlete, um, we could technically throw some picks together here and see what we can make happen here. Maybe we can make a couple dollars. That'd be cool. Yeah, that would be cool. I'm always down to uh, gamble. Now, now that you know it's over, Marcel. Sorry, brother, but I've been gambling this entire time. You <laughs> can't do anything <laughs> about it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. I I'm scared with just the way that things have gone this year on uh, throwing money, just because you literally have no idea who's gonna win. Like no, a- anyone's beating everyone. Like the Ivies are ridiculous. ACC play, who knows? Like it, it just, 
it literally, um, I'm glad that I kind of slowed down on the gambling because I definitely would have been wrong a lot of times, just like everyone else. Um, and as the, as the saying goes, the house always wins. The house would have won a lot. Um, and I don't even think they would have thought they were going to win. Um, so definitely, definitely some tough stuff there, um, to kind of shift gears a little bit. Um, the NLL announced their new franchise, um, the desert dogs of Las Vegas. Um, I, I like the name a lot. I think the logo could definitely use some work. I, I think I actually took to Twitter about that, um, and gave my ratings on the name and the logo. Um, I think I was, I think the name I gave it like an eight, eight something. Um, and then the, the logo, I was not satisfied. I think I could have made that on like on the Canva or something like it was, it was not impressive. Um, so I think I gave that like a five, four, um, out of 10. Um, so yeah, but, um, also shout out, um, to new head coach and GM, um, Sean Williams, absolute beauty had pleasure to be coached by him a couple times. Um, and also podcast guest, uh, Dyson Williams, um, that's his father, um, absolute legend in the NLL, MLL, um, as well as Canadian box across in regards to the man cup. Um, so congrats to him. Um, that franchise is going to be crazy. Um, I think I, I think I also threw, I think I threw, oh no, I posted on my Instagram story. I was like congratulating him, but I also said, I was like, if you need a water boy, um, I'm, I'm definitely, I'm definitely still a free agent and I'm down to get signed. So I'm still, I'm still in there. I'm still in the free agency in regards to the NLL. So if you need someone to fill up your water or to get you a towel, I'm down. Yeah, that's, that'd be so sick. I mean, that, I'm curious to see how, not that I'm a big NLO guy by any means, but with just that ownership of, you know, Joe Sy, Wayne Gretzky, um, isn't Dustin Johnson one too? Dustin Johnson and Steve Nash. Steve Nash, that's like, that's so sick. Like, that's actually what a crew. Sick. Like, just a couple of Canadian sports legends, and then you throw in Dustin Johnson, who also just got married. Um, to Wayne Gretzky's daughter, who is an absolute smoke. Um, one of the best looking women on planet earth, Paulina Gretzky, shout out. Um, Wayne Gretzky just breeds beautiful women, um, as he should. Um, but um, yeah, and then you throw in Steve Nash there again, another Canadian sports legend. Um, in his I kind of forgot he's Canadian. Yeah, an absolute weapon. Um, so that, that crew itself, like... The, the team has to be successful. You got some of the best sports players in their respective sports through generations um, with their ideas. They should be throwing together some really cool stuff. And then Joe Sy is just a weapon in the business world. Um, so he's going to be definitely cooking up some stuff as well. Um, so definitely excited for that. Um, once they come out, once the NLL is finished and they come out with the um, protected list for each team, um, I'll definitely throw together um, my, um, my expansion draft and who I would pick up from each team. Um, Cause that'll be interesting to see what teams protect, which players and kind of who's up for grabs. Um, I'm sure a lot of people wouldn't be too upset to get picked up by Vegas in the expansion draft um, yes, as, as, as well as the draft. If I was going in the draft this year, I would be begging to be picked up by Vegas. Yeah. That would be so sick. Playing. On the other hand though, on the other hand though, the NLL, like you're not making a crazy salary. So if you hear, if you're playing for Vegas and you're there every second weekend, you're obviously going to be spending a boatload of money um, on gambling, partying, all that kind of stuff. You'd be broke because the NLL isn't uh, necessarily a moneymaker. 
Um, no, that's really, so, that's so really important. It, it would be a lot of fun as like a 20 year old um, kid, but it would be very dangerous. Um, very dangerous. Yeah, that's that's actually nuts. Um, so curious to see how that pans out, though. So that's like a like that's so big for our sport that they put. I, I'm just curious how that you know crew came together to buy or cross team. You know what I mean? Like and it's so and especially random. Vegas. I don't know like the connection they have in regards to like the location. Uh, I'm not sure where um, Gretzky and uh, DJ are living at. I'm not sure. Um, I mean, I'm pretty sure Steve Nash is up in New York. Um, cause he's coaching NBA up there, but um, I, I don't know what the connection is in regards to if they have housing in Vegas as well. I mean, they, they got boatloads of money, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if they had some residents up in Vegas and they were like, you know what, like this could be good. Um, but Wayne, Wayne Gretzky back in the day, he played some lacrosse, just like all Canadians did. Um, so he's got a little bit of connection there. He appreciates it, um, the sport and kind of the legacy that it has. So de- it's definitely not a bad investment, um, especially Vegas. It's going to be a hot market. Um, the West Coast in regards to lacrosse is growing big time. Um, and Vegas is just a money market. Once people realize, like, if you're in Vegas for a weekend and you're partying and you're going crazy and doing stuff, if you can get tickets to an NLL game for 50 bucks or under, um, I promise you, you will not have a bad time. Um, NLL games are like something you've never experienced before. I promise you that. Um, it is like the atmosphere of like an NBA game mixed with an NHL game. So you get the best of like the contact, the physicality, the speed and back and forth of basketball with less whistles. Um, and then you also get like the atmosphere. So they play music the entire time, like during the game, like a basketball game. So it's like an absolute party in there. Like you got music rocking during the game. You got the announcer yelling and screaming. Um, if Obviously the game's changing a bit, but contact is crazy. You got guys rocking each other. Um, fights here and there. Um, it, it's just a great atmosphere. And if you're a lacrosse fan in general, if you go to a box game and you're not enjoyed, um, I, I'll, I'll pay for your ticket. I'll give you your money back. Cause I, I promise you will be entertained and it's as entertaining, if not more than the PLL. Definitely. There you go. Speaking of the PLL, um, dropping their new app today, got a chance to toy around with it a little bit on it right now. It's pretty cool. Um, you know, you got the shop, stats, injuries, you can track all that stuff and transactions throughout the league, check standing, schedule. Uh, I think it's pretty sweet. And I know Shans had mentioned something about the possibility of them doing fantasy, which um, would be huge. Definitely have to put a little money on that and make a little wager or something with Shand and I if we do a fantasy league. Um, but definitely, you know, just another way that they're growing the sport and, and it looks pretty sweet. Yeah, no, the PLL app is awesome. Like, obviously, I've been on Twitter the last couple of days, and all these people that got early access were talking about it and saying how great it was and all the different features. And obviously, I knew that the PLL wouldn't put out a bad product with where they're going right now. They're they're absolutely killing it. So I knew they wouldn't put out a bad product, a bad app, if it wasn't ready. Um, and it's definitely ready. I fooled around with it today and love what they're doing. Um, and then I, I looked into the fantasy stuff a bit. It basically just says more info coming soon. Um, but if, if they have a fantasy, that'll be awesome. Um, even if it's not like something where you can kind of throw money into it as well, but if it's just something you could do like an ESPN fantasy kind of thing, um, that'd be great. I mean, also speaking of ESPN with their ESPN deal, um, like the ESPN fantasy app, 
Um, if they start like tracking points and stuff, they might be able to do um, fantasy through the ESPN fantasy app, um, which would be huge that because everyone uses that for uh, fantasy football. I use it for hockey. Um, there's tons of different stuff you can do it on. So with ESPN picking them up, that would be huge for them too. Maybe not this season, next season. Um, but even if we can do fantasy through their app, I'm all in. Um, and speaking of fantasy too, um, inside lacrosse is college fantasy. We kind of took a few weeks off of it um, just because we got busy and they were kind of posting it too late. So we didn't really get to talk about it on our episodes. Um, but me and Gino went head to head this week. Not a big deal for, I think, the fourth time we've done this. Um, I think this is the third out of four times that I've been in the top 10. I think I was eighth um, out of everyone that did it. Who knows how many people? I heard there was 500, but, you know, there probably was only 30. Um, but anyway, so that was pretty cool. Um, had a pretty good selection. Picked some some Canadian boys. I think I had Inacio in there, Jackson Reed. Um, he had a dirty BTB goal as well. Yeah. Um, and then picked a couple other guys, too, that had some some really good games. So that's, it's always fun doing that stuff. I think that they should definitely keep that going. And next year, I'm sure they'll have even more additions and um, some new stuff going on with it as well. No, totally. Um, even though, you know, I got 37, no big deal. Uh, oh, so good. That means they're more than 30 at least. Yeah. But uh, I think that kind of wraps up our part of this podcast and we're going to kick it over to an awesome interview with quint kesnick um espn announcer um hopkins legend uh and he's a great guy and i really enjoyed this this week's episode and he tells us some stories of his nll days and uh it's just a it's just an awesome episode for sure Hey, Sticks and Stones fans. Today's guest is a Long Island, New York native who played college ball at Johns Hopkins. He was an All-American and also received the NCAA Goalie of the Year Award twice. After graduating from Hopkins, he played one year in the NLL for the Baltimore Thunder. After calling it a career, he made the switch to sports broadcasting, and he is now one of the main faces of college lacrosse. Welcome, Quint Kesnick. Thanks for coming on. Sure. Glad to be here. Yeah, kind of, to, kind of to kick things off. I mean, how would you describe, you know, your background, how you got into the sport? And I had, you know, listened to some other podcasts and um, learned that you had a, a wrestling background growing up. And how did that really influence, um, you know, you playing goalie and that that one on one uh, approach to it? Uh, and then just how you got into the goalie position. Yeah, the broadcasting started after college. Uh, my senior year, I guess it was my senior year at Hopkins. The radio guys reached out to me. I did a long interview for them and they were like, Hey, why don't you join us next year? So I was working for Citibank. I had a real job out of college, but I started doing Hopkins lacrosse games just on the radio for three or four years. So that, that's how I got my start in the broadcasting in terms of lacrosse. Uh, you know, I come from a pretty big family. I got two older brothers and a younger sister. We lived in a neighborhood that was surrounded by other kids at the time. And so my older brothers, our backyard was the second biggest in our neighborhood. And the biggest was a, a family around the corner and, and their dad wouldn't let them play in the backyard because they damaged the grass too much. So our backyard kind of became the Mecca and the home. So I got older brothers who were playing lacrosse in the backyard and I'm sitting at the window. I'm like five or six and I wanted to play. And they're like, okay, you play, get in the goal. So it was a pretty natural start uh, where, where they threw me in the goal. I, re I replaced a trash can 
you know, as, as, as a six year old and, and I got, I got pelted pretty good growing up, but, but I enjoyed it. And, uh, and I, and I stayed with it. I played midfield uh, as far up as uh, eighth grade. And then, uh, you know, when, when I came back and, and made the NLL, that was not as a goalie. I came back as a defender. So, uh, you know, I always consider myself a lacrosse player who happened to play goalie. Fair enough. I mean, I feel like in regards to kind of being a field first player um, in regards to being American, I mean, I think a lot of times people usually start as a player and then end up getting like thrown into the goalie position as they get um, a little older. Some team doesn't have a goalie and you're like, oh, you know, what? like I'm not too scared of the ball. Like I'll hop in there and help out. And then you end up being good at it. So then the coach is like, all right, just kind of stay there um, and keep filling that role for us. Um but yeah, I mean, what kind of like advice would you give? I mean, I actually, I coach a lot right now in the Tampa area and I actually just had a kid do exactly what I just described. He was one of our, one of our uh, mediocre players. Like he was a good role player through the midfield, but he was like, I'm not scared of the ball and our goalie didn't show up. Um, so what kind of advice would you give for me to give to him just in regards to kind of making that switch into the goalie role? I'm a huge fan of that. Especially, I mean, at the youth level, especially, I think players should have the, the freedom to try all different positions, whether it's face off goaltending pole attack or midfield as, as far as even in middle school i i still think you, you need to experiment i mean some of the, the best players i coached we, we didn't make position changes until 11th grade or 12th grade of high school and these guys went on at the college level to be first team all americans who were midfielders but weren't quite fast enough to, to be stars at college we gave them a pole next thing you know uh you know mitch handler at navy back in the early 2000s uh um you know, Ryan Mollett was the number one draft pick in the P in the MLL draft when he came out of Princeton. He was a midfielder uh, uh, when he left Boys Latin. They switched his position when he got to Princeton. So I'm a big fan of of constant uh, experimentation. Uh, for me, you know, playing midfield in terms of eighth grade, and then I played midfield every summer when I was in college. I, I just was not the type of person that wanted to see more shots during the summer. I crammed a lot of work into the spring. And by the end of the spring, I did not want to get hit again. I was burnt. I was toast, but I still loved lacrosse and wanted to play. So playing midfield and facing off was, was, uh, you know, how I spent my summers and that kept me fresh. And you learn a lot. You, you learn about, you know, what's a good shot. You learn about how defenders look when they're in duress or when they're in control, you learn about matchups, you learn about clearing patterns. Uh, there, there's, there's a ton of, of things you can learn by playing a different position. No, I agree. Um, being like a coaching mind and kind of trying to bounce players around, like, especially even like brand new players. Like I have a kid that just started and like, he <clears throat> is obsessed with wanting to play long pole. And I'm like, no, hold on, let's settle down. Let's learn how to use your short stick first. And then let's, let's give it a shot next week. Like let's try attack next week. And like, they literally, the kids also like appreciate, it. like they want to try every position and then they figure out what they actually like and what they don't like. Cause when they get forced into like you say, if you have like a bigger kid and you force him right away to play long pole, cause he's bigger and stronger than everyone, he might not get a chance to play attack. And who knows, he could have been a phenomenal goal scorer. He could have been the guy that's just bulldozing everyone and running through and scoring. So you need to be able to give these kids kind of an opportunity to play a little bit of everything. Um, but kind of not really a question based there, but into roll into that. I mean, talk to us a little bit about um, kind of how, you made the switch, you made the position switch, and then kind of you rolled through high school and then you ended up picking um, Johns Hopkins to play college ball. Kind of talk to us a little bit about your recruiting process and uh, your time at Hopkins. Well, it was a long time ago, so recruiting was very different. But, you know, my town, we had some pretty good goalies, so I split time until uh, ninth grade. 
I don't think I started on varsity until midway through the year. The goalie uh, hurt his neck. And so I, I finished up the, my freshman year as a starter. Sophomore year was kind of a year that I turned the corner. And I think for the first time, it became apparent that I wasn't going to be a wrestler in college, but I was going to be a lacrosse player. Uh, I had a, a, a good junior year and, and uh, people started to take notice, you know, of late, late my sophomore, early my junior year. But back then, uh, recruiting didn't really exist until your senior year. I mean, I went on a visit to Johns Hopkins in January of my senior year. Uh, and then committed maybe in February. I had been to Virginia. I had been to Army on trips. Uh, but really, you know, in terms of early recruiting, you know, guys, really good players were still being evaluated. Their, their senior games were still being evaluated. Uh, and so there, there was, I was overall, there, there were less misses. You know, when you're, when you're, when you're investing, as, as these coaches did in early recruiting, that is, uh, the analysis of eighth and ninth graders, there's going to be a tremendous amount of misses. Obviously there's the Brennan O'Neill's in every bunch, but, but back in the day, it was, you know, the cream rose to the top and, and guys didn't commit until spring of their senior year. I mean, Joe Bresci, who the head coach of North Carolina, who played Loyola high school, he committed in May to North Carolina and he became a team USA player. So that was standard. Uh, and, and, and I wish we would go back to, I, we've got it. We got it right now with with the lack of early recruiting because I, I don't think eighth, ninth, and, and eighth, ninth graders really shouldn't be evaluated. I think your tenth grade year may be the first time coaches should look at guys and develop a list and then see how players uh, develop and mature and grow from there. No, I absolutely agree. I think when I mean I was kind of at that age right when um, early recruiting was like prime, and I was just fifteen going to summer tournaments, freaking out because there was like coaches on the sideline. And I was not even able to drive a car yet. It was just absolutely crazy. And, and I think it's better for the game uh, and people focus more on the development in, in those years. And that's, you know, a, a crucial point in a kid's um, growth and, and really finding the love for the game and not having to worry about where they're going to college um, just takes so much pressure and, and really makes um, people grow more fond of the game. In my opinion, um, kind of to stay on the Hopkins talk. Uh, I'm just going to say a couple Hopkins legends uh, and just, Say what first comes to mind, uh, kind of to kick things off with, you know, one of the greatest players in, in our game in, in Paul Rabel uh, and a and, uh, guy who's doing so much for our game. Well, I remember watching Rabel when he was at DeMassa. They played Boys Latin on a Saturday morning. It was the day after uh, Good Friday. Usually we, we play a Tuesdays and Fridays. So it was a special Saturday morning game. And I remember coming off the field, I had a game at Hopkins later that afternoon. And and as soon as I got down to, to, to Homewood, I uh, – I, I pulled over to uh, Coach Dwan, who's the defensive coordinator, and Dave Petromal. I'm like, have you seen this kid, Rabel, from DeMatha? And they're like, uh, yeah, we have. No shit. Uh, so he, he, he was, uh, he was a, 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 the type of talent you don't see on the lacrosse field very often in terms of size, speed, uh, hand-eye coordination. Uh, what we would learn down the road is that his drive, uh, his, his, uh, his willingness to work, and his hunger – uh, maybe surpassed his athletic ability. And so that combination uh, is deadly in sports. Absolutely. Um, another one, Kyle Harrison. Kyle Harrison, his first game at Johns Hopkins, he had like two goals. He took every face off and scored the game winner against Princeton. It was a wow moment that I'll never forget. It was an opener for a first, first Saturday in March against Princeton. And this kid comes out of friend's school where he's a multi-sport athlete. There was some hype about him. He was still a little raw and unpolished, but man, you could see he had the quickness, the separation speed. 
and 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 not only was Kyle uh, superb athletically, but uh, you, you know he, he's he's always carried the the, the burden of, of being an African American player in a, in, a, in a, a widely widely white sport, and he's done it so eloquently. Uh, and he's pushed for for others. Uh, I, you know, I have nothing but ultimate respect for Kyle as a player and and as a human. Absolutely, uh, Dave Petromala. I had the best seat in the house. Uh, I had the, for three years. You know, I, I Dave was off to my left, uh, and uh, you know, I, and in practice, when, if we ever scrimmage full field and Dave and I are on the same team, we never lost ever. Uh, that that's a fact. So they had to split us up quite a bit. But uh, Petro was fiery, man. He was a competitor. If, 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 there was, if there were stakes, if there was anything on the line, uh, it brought out Dave's best. The, the moments in practice where things didn't really matter and you're doing a mundane drill, well, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't a great practice player in those instances. But when you made it a one-on-one, a two-on-two, a four-on-three and kept score, man, he, he was a beast. His, his, uh, his ability to uh, – predict plays and to see plays develop before they happen. And then to instinctively get there like a D end uh, rushing a quarterback, like a, like a safety jumping a route. Uh, so he, he had that. Plus you combine the athletic, you know, athletic traits, tall, fast, great hands, nasty. Uh, and he had a flair for the dramatic. I mean, he, he made big plays, in all the big games, the bigger the game was, never had to worry about Petro. If it was if it was a rinky dink small game where we're favored by ten goals, sometimes I'd have to get get in his grill. Uh, but he certainly would get in my grill. If I gave up a bad goal, he knew it. I knew it. I I, he, I wouldn't even look at him. He'd give me this the, the look of death. And when his man scored, man, I, you know it was like I I need to disappear here for a couple seconds because those weren't happy moments. But uh, I enjoyed our time. So I'm just so fortunate to have played. Uh, you know, with him and practices for, for basically for three years and then, and then a bit uh, after college. Absolutely. I mean, that's one of the greatest players and greatest coach of, coaches of our game. Uh, and last one here is, is Dave Huntley. Dave Huntley, uh, I don't – the only film I've seen of Dave Huntley is, is, is old. It's like there's a Bruder film. But, you know, his, his legend was that he had a, a, a wicked outside shot. Uh, but he became more than that. You know, he was an assistant coach when I was with the Thunder. And I was I was very fortunate to make that team. I was borderline. I was like the worst guy on the team. But he made it simple. You know, he made it simple. I remember the the, the free agent tryouts and I did pretty well. And and I was like, I got invited back for the for the main team tryouts. And I went up to him and he was like, you just keep getting ground balls. You're going to do fine. And he, he had the way to uh, simplifying uh, everybody's role. He had a he had a just a great eye for the game. And as an announcer, then for two decades, I, I'd call him up every week and we'd talk for an hour on the phone, uh, you know, back before video was so widely available, uh, leaning on a guy like coach Huntley was, was immense. Cause he, maybe he saw Loyola play or UMBC play or Navy play, or maybe he was at the Maryland game and I wasn't. So I leaned on him uh, and I trusted his eyes. Uh, he was a great man. Yeah, he was an absolute legend being um, Canadian. Like I looked up to him and he had an, big influence um, on Canadian lacrosse players and the clubs that I played for. Um, he, he did a lot for the community. Um, so obviously big, uh, big ups to him. Um, but you've mentioned a little bit, um, talking about your career, um, your quick stunt uh, in the NLL. Um, talk to us a little bit about that. I mean, obviously being an American born player, not having a ton of box lacrosse experience. Um, talk to us a little bit about how that went and um, if, how you enjoyed your time. That was a major leap of faith. Uh, and I'm so glad I did it now, you know, 20, whatever years later, I think it was uh, 30 years later. 
but I was old at the time. I was almost uh, 10 years out of college. I was playing in the, in the Baltimore uh, indoor lacrosse league playing midfield. And I did pretty well in, in 97 and 98 ish. And, and the team was, uh, the Baltimore Thunder was short of practice players. So that, so they had about four or five of us and we came out and we practiced with them in, in 1998. I wasn't in great shape. I wasn't strong. Uh, my goalie skills were eroding. And uh, I did it as a favor, really, to the owner who, 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 uh, who asked me. And uh, I got my ass kicked. Uh, so bad in the last practice, Jeff Clodston just, just cheap shot of me, hit my head. My helmet came down and cut, cut my eyebrow. There's blood all over my face. And Coach Tucker, like, blows the whistle and practice is over. I was so pissed because I wanted retribution. I'm, I'm like, I'm going to effing fucking kill this guy. And they end practice, and that's the last practice of the year. So I went into the offseason strictly to get Jeff Clodson back. I trained three hours a day. I ran hills. I lifted weights. I worked on my skills just to come back to get him. Uh, and, and in the process, I ended up, uh, you know, playing really well in the free agent tryout. And then next thing you know, there I am at practice and, and you know, actually taking meaningful defensive reps and, and getting – tons of ground balls from Paul Cantabene who would just rake the ball out. And I'd be the defender on the left, I'd run up. I was quicker off the line than the most of the guys. Uh, you know, it was, it was just an incredible experience. Uh, every week that they called my name that I, that I dressed was like, Holy shit, I'm actually dressing in this game. They, they hand me a check for 632 bucks after my first game. It was like, I, I do wish I framed it because like everyone was doubting me. Everyone was doubting me. And I didn't even tell my family I was going to try out because that's how convinced I was that I was going to get cut. Uh, but I, I did the work. And so it was really rewarding. And then to be on a team for the first time and be the lowest guy in the totem pole. I mean, I was the lowest guy, like every week came down to the last two guys who's dressing. I dressed like 11 times. I dressed like Gary Gates getting called uh, Rob Sheck, we, legendary guys on our team. And then there's me, the little scrub at the end, but it taught me about team dynamics. Like I wasn't going to win or lose a game for us, but if I, practiced well and helped other guys and and was good for the the karma on the team and the and the vibe like that's what i could add to it and for the first time being a non-goalie it really resonated with me how all the parts can contribute uh even if it's not on game day for sure i mean talk to us a little bit about too like um just the box across game in general i mean obviously i grew up only playing box until about like my 11th grade year um, and then I started playing field and attended the Hill Academy, but talk to us a little bit about how like the box across game really like does help you develop. And a lot of parents are starting to finally realize that box across really can help the field game as well. I love box. I mean, I, I, I loved running up and down the floor, hitting people, uh, the challenges of shooting on the smaller goal, the challenges of, of constructing your offense. So you get to the middle of the floor. I was a one-handed player. I had no left hand. That didn't hurt me in box. Uh, defensively, I can cross-check, and I can certainly hold. I was a great holder. I would take one hand off the stick and grab a guy's jersey. I would grab his stick. Um, I, I, I broke both pinkies. My thumbs got beaten up. But, man, I was using my hands every trick in the book. And I'd match up with a guy similar size. So, typically, I was covering the other team's smaller and quicker guys. Uh, we had defenders like Hugh Donovan and, and Brian Reese you know, gigantic guys who struggled with, with the quickness of those guys. So when you're filling out your team indoors, you need body types. A lot of matchups are body type related. So I wouldn't cover the guy who weighed 220 and was 6'2", but I would cover the 5'8 quick guy and I could do that. And so I think when, when, you're, when you're constructing a team, 
for indoor, it's it's uh, it's interesting that way. In that in that you need a righty lefty combo, you need speed quickness, but you need some power defenders. You need a little bit of everything to have a great indoor team. And it was just fascinating. I learned so much. Uh, I mean, I mean, we, I remember losing. We lost our last game. Played up in the Garden. I played in the Spectrum. I played in in the Boston Garden. Uh, it, it, you know, played Long Island. Uh, my high school coach came out and watched me play. I had an assist in that game. It was like, you know, I scored a goal once. It was, uh, I got in a brawl. Like I start, I, I, I incited a, a massive brawl <laughs> in my first game when I, when I took out the Toronto Rock goalie. I think it was uh, Watson, maybe late in the game. We're up by like 10. We win the faceoff. I'm running down. I come in, he stuffs me. The ball's loose in the crease. I dive in and I submarine his legs. Next thing you know, they drag me in the goal and start kicking me. I, I got a huge shiner and I got to go to work on Monday. I show, and my boss didn't even know what I was doing on the weekends. So I show up for work. He's like, what happened to you this weekend? I'm like, well, I'm playing this thing called indoor lacrosse. And, and uh, I, I, I made a mistake. Oh, Terry Bullen grabs me after that fight. I thought he was going to kill me. He's the biggest guy in the league. He was the guy who would cover Gary Gate on a weekly basis. I'm looking up to him I'm like, Terry, please. I'm sorry. This is my first game. I made a mistake. Please don't kill me. <laughs> that's that's hilarious i mean no, the analog, and, yeah and as i'm walking to the penalty box every single member of the rock team said we're going to take your teeth next when you come oh, up yeah. to toronto we're taking your teeth <laughs> and 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 i'll never forget that game up in toronto i was shitting on shitting in my pants i shouldn't have been but but they had me they had me shitting in my pants yeah box across is different i mean i try to explain it to like when i'm like hanging out with guys like gina like we'll watch nll because like he doesn't have too much of a background he'll watch it and he's like oh this is crazy i'm like no you should have seen it back then dude it's um, crazy like, it was it was crazy and 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 like the retribution factor like everyone would have a list like i owe that guy a cross check in the back of the head because he got me two years ago or you know that uh, it just just crazy shit and and uh you know sticking up for each other understanding what's a a legal play and what's over the line sticking up for your team. I like how to change momentum in a game by being chippy. Like if you're down five, like it's time to maybe you know drop the gloves or, 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 you know, in, in, inside a fight or try to get the other team off their, off their, uh, you know, the, the run that they're on. Uh, it's uh, I, I learned a ton. It's, it's very different than field lacrosse. Yeah. That's the best way to describe it. It's very different. It's its own sport. Um, but kind of last thing in regards to box cross and stuff with, um, with them signing, um, a deal with ESPN and getting their sport kind of on, on the map a little bit and on that platform, um, with you having like some, obviously you have a tunnel across background, but you even have a bit of a little bit of NLL background. Um, do you have like interest in calling some games or have you called I would. games yet? No, I would. They, they, they didn't reach out. So, you know, they, they had their own crews. I, I think that ultimately if the NLL, is going to grow. I think there needs to be a little more crossover with, you know, using an a Shroff, uh, Chris Cotter and myself and not every game, but once in a while. Uh, and then we'll end up talking about it more in the college games. Like, you know, it's the same with men's and women's lacrosse. There's gotta be a little crossover if you expect the fans to, 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 to go back and forth. So I, I would be very much willing to do games. Uh, you know, I did games before I played for the old ESPN two with Lee Felsmo and Christy Lee. Uh, Google, Google 1994, 1995, ESPN2, M-I-L-L, the mill. Uh, and I was, I was down on the, down on the benches, um, you know, interviewing guys as the game was going on. It was, it was, uh, that was uh, eye-opening, crazy. The old odd up in Buffalo, the place was uh, just jacked with their horn, you know, uh, seeing, seeing bench clearing brawls in Toronto and Philly and 
just, just, just good times. Yeah, that's For awesome. Sure. I mean, you kind of touched on it there, but talk us through your broadcasting career. I mean, I, I can't even tell you how many times I've watched the We Love Lacrosse video on YouTube that you're commentating and it just gives you the chills every time. And you look at the sport and you turn on ESPN and it's you, Quentin, or you, uh, Anish and Kark, and um, just walk us through that and uh, how you've been able to evolve uh, through your career. Well, it started as part-time work. I mean, honestly, I worked for Citibank in, in the HR department, interviewing people. Uh, then I got involved in, in, I hated that job, and I got involved in uh, corporate video production and did that for almost 10 years. And, and the lacrosse broadcasting was always a side gig. It was always seasonal. Uh, and it was nice extra money for me, for, for me to make, but it was never enough for me to, uh, to live on until the late nineties when college sports television became a reality. The ca- these cable networks then started gathering up the rights to, to college lacrosse. And so they could televise, let's say 10 games. So I went from broadcasting on WMAR, which was ABC, the ABC affiliate in Baltimore, which had a 10 game package plus some playoffs that I was doing at the time for ESPN in the, in the mid to late nineties to then college sports television give, gave me a contract uh, to do, let's say 40 events a year. And then ESPN, when ESPN U came about, uh, they, they matched that and raised it. So all of a sudden I became a year round broadcaster uh, doing some football, some basketball, some wrestling and some lacrosse, mostly lacrosse. Uh, but, but that's how things opened up. And so it took me about 12 years out of college, 32, my friends are getting married and buying houses. I can, you know, I can barely afford toilet paper and soap. Uh, but it, so it took me 12 years and, and to where I could become a full-time announcer. Uh, and I'm glad I did because, because, you know, that was my dream. That was my goal. And, and, uh, uh, everything has worked out. Okay. For sure. I mean, you talked about, um, obviously, we know that you're one of the faces of the lacrosse world in regards to broadcasting, but I know you do a ton of other sports as well. Um, if you could give us your favorite lacrosse game you've ever called, and maybe even your favorite any other sport game you've ever called as well, so just so then you can give a little bit of both. Yeah, there's, I, I mean, last year's championship game was special, coming off the pandemic. It was a great game. The place wasn't full. It was not 20% capacity up in Connecticut, but man, the fans were loud. That game had a lot of meaning. It was, it was hard not for me not to get choked up during that whole game, knowing what everyone had gone through, uh, you know, to, to sit there during the 2020 May month and, and, and not have any lacrosse. The notable championship games, obviously my, my first one in 1995, the first semifinal I did was when Johns Hopkins was undefeated and they got upset by Brian Doherty in Maryland. And that was a game that I remember specifically, like, you can't bring your heart into this. You, you got to separate from your, your Hopkins ties because, you know, you can't show a bias or any kind of emotion on the air. Uh, so that was a great lesson there. The 04 finals, one that, that I like, like a lot, too, it's when Navy lost to Syracuse uh, in, in Baltimore. Huge crowd. It was one of our first years in the big stadium. The weather was crappy that weekend all along the East Coast. It was rain and cold and wind. And so no one was at the beach. Uh, we have never done a television rating. And Navy's a national brand. brand. So we have never done a television rating that, that, has, uh, that has eclipsed that 2004 NCAA championship game that came down in the last second. It was a good game. Uh, and, and, you know, my brother was a Navy grad. So growing up, I was, was into Navy. So the game meant a lot to me personally as well. So those are special lacrosse games. Uh, I mean – 
the Kentucky, I covered four or five Kentucky derbies. That's a special event. If you've never been there, I, I would recommend going. It's just visually like the most incredible thing. Big time college football games I love. And, and, you know, last year I, I, I you know, worked 20, 20 college football games. All of them I, I cherish, you know, uh, to, to go into an arena with 80, 100,000 screaming fans for a big college football game is, is thrilling. And then NCAA championships. I've done, uh, you know, more than a handful of the wrestling championships. Uh, and what stands out about those events is you have athletes who have trained their entire lives for that moment from the age five, age six. And here they are as 21, 22 year olds getting their hand raised as a national champion. Uh, that that's, it's just special to be involved with that event in a, in a sport that I have such respect for the, the level of toughness and the commitment that those athletes, uh, athletes show. Absolutely. I mean, wrestling is a sport of its own. Um, kind of talk us through your relationship with um, Kark and Anish. I mean, we can see it when we're watching the games that you guys have a special bond off the air uh, and it just um, uh, translates to your, to your broadcast. Just talk us through that a little bit. Yeah, we're all different. Uh, we're all different. We've become good friends. Uh, we, we, we share some similarities in our lives and we share some differences in our lives. Uh, we're all basically from the Northeast. You know, Clark's from Westchester County. I'm from the island. Anisha's is from Jersey. Uh, we, we all have uh, we all have young families right now. I got a 12 year old. Clark's got a, a teenager and a, and a 12 year old. And Anisha's got a, a young one, you know, a four year old. So we share similar things in our lives. Uh, we, we're constantly texting one another, at whether it's observations, whether it's uh, informational, hey, I saw this, you got to check out this guy that I just saw last night from Maris, the, this guy, Roselle, this, this long pole, he's pretty good. Or, or giving each other shit, like, hey, Anish, you need to work out today because, you know, your double chin showed last week on the air. <laughs> so, uh, everything is free game. Like there's no, there's no one gets a free pass about anything. And so you got to develop thick skin and we've just carried that over onto the air. So whether it's giving somebody credit, whether it's ripping somebody, it's just like when they're not there, you know, we just go at it. Twitter occasionally uh, we, we, we don't. So we're just being kind of ourselves, you know, we've taken that onto the air and we've developed a, a real strong chemistry uh, and it's fun. And, and that, uh, you know, I look forward to working with those guys. Our, our team is getting bigger. So actually the amount of games that we, we work during the season, maybe less uh, than it used to be because we have other pretty good announcers now, guys like Chris Cotter, and Drew Carter, and Mike Corey. Uh, and we have more and more games on. Uh, but, but we still, uh, we look forward, you know, we were texting last night. I'm like, you know, if Yale runs a table, they're going to host the Ivy League tournament. Man, I can't wait to eat some of that pizza in, in New Haven. Uh, that was, that was like last night's text. Yeah, no, as fans, um, I, I promise you that we love it. And like, just seeing you guys have a little bit of banter and seeing you guys kind of just show your true selves, even on the air, obviously we don't see behind the scenes, but even on the air, you can just tell that you guys have a good relationship and you guys kind of obviously professionals, but you guys, you guys make it fun for us and make the game more enjoyable. Like, obviously we're there to watch the game, but at the same time, like, I'm excited when I know that you guys are all on the same broadcast. It's, it's enjoyable for us to watch. I, I well, thank you. That. It, yeah. It needs to be fun. Like TV, like I get, I get serious. I get super analytical and, 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 you know, I, I show you, I got all my stuff cooking for this week. It's like, but at the end of the day, can you, can you teach the fans something? 
can you uh, open their eyes to a student athlete, uh, to how lacrosse is played? And can they have fun? Are they laughing? Are they crying? Like, uh, I want them to feel emotion. It's the same with when I write for Lax All-Stars. It's like, if you read that and don't love me, hate me, or haven't learned something, I haven't done my job. Like, we want emotions here. And so sometimes, you know, you may hate, you walk away from a show, that guy, Quinn, he's a piece of shit. I, like, I can't stand that guy. Well, I touched a sensitive nerve and, 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 and maybe you'll watch again next week. You know, we're here for the fans. And, and I, I think we've all learned, the three of us have learned that it, it's got to be fun and we find the fun. That's one of our, that's one of our goals is always, you know, be accurate, document the game, teach, be a, be a inclusive, bring everybody in and, and then, and then have fun. Absolutely. Um, kind of to switch gears here. Um, college across this year. Crazy. I mean, last weekend, especially um, you got games like Richmond upsetting UVA, Notre Dame blowing out Cuse. Um, I, I saw on Instagram, your final four, um, your current top five, you got Maryland, Georgetown, Princeton, Rutgers, and Yale. Talk us through uh, how you think the season is going to finish out here and who eventually is going to be our national champion. Oof, I'll be wrong. Uh, I thought all for the last month, I thought obviously Maryland's the team to beat mm-hmm. historically good, probably. And Virginia could be a viable upset. Uh, they played that game at Audi and, and, and I'm, I'm not going to overreact to 23 to 12 final score, but what I've seen from Virginia since then uh, gives me some hesitation. You know, they got injuries now with Matt Moore and Petey LaSala. Their defense has not kind of turned the corner uh, off of that game. So then I'm asking myself, okay, who else is out there? Princeton's got an offense. You, I watched some Princeton Maris last night. Princeton's offense, Alex Lusher, Vodaro, Chris Brown, uh, Coulter Mackesy behind the net, uh, English, the Canadian. He, these guys can play offense. Princeton's offense is really good. So that they're in the mix. I don't know about their defense. Don't know about their play in the middle of the field. So someone's coming out of the Ivy League. Right now, Yale's got all the momentum. Uh, if I were selling a team, selling a stock, it would probably be Cornell right now, dealing with some injuries. They could host the Ivy League tournament, but more likely probably to be Yale or Princeton. We'll see. Uh, and in the ACC, I'm, t- I'm on the ACC network tomorrow night talking about it. Like all the teams in the ACC have a loss that makes you say, what the heck happened? Like Duke's got three of them. And I think Duke probably has more upside than any team in the league still to this day. Like they, they dusted Carolina last week. And I look at Duke and saying, wow, if they figure this thing out, they'll make it to championship weekend. And they're, they got enough talent. Maybe if they put it together to, to compete with a Maryland, to play for a national championship game, that wouldn't surprise me at all. No, for sure. I think that there's so much potential in those teams and you can never count a team like Virginia out. We were just talking about it on like our episode for this week, but I mean, it's, it's crazy to think that these people are like, Oh, well, I get it. They lost to Richmond, but at the same time, like, it's still Virginia. They still have all these pieces. And when they hit the NCAA tournament, that's when they thrive. Like, again, it's okay. Well, you guys are athletes, you know, like the difference between a team who kind of flatlines and has their ups and down days. And then a team who kind of improves regardless of results, too many people focus on winning and losing like losses are good because you grow from losses. And so I'm always looking for, for trajectory, like who's getting better. I think Princeton's pretty good. I think Georgetown's good. Obviously, Virginia and Maryland. Maryland could be on another tier. But then, like, who's – like, Notre Dame. They're not that far out of this thing either, by the way. If they figure out their face-offs and learn how to pass, you know, 
if they get in the playoffs, they'll be dangerous. They got an uphill battle getting in the playoffs. Yeah. You know, the whole ACC needs help because the Ivy League has, has been kicking butt. Uh, the ACC is really contingent, really hoping that Harvard tanks it, believe it or not. So only four Ivy League teams get in and not five that's slated, you know, by people like Patrick Stevens. So, uh, and it's been cool to watch this year. Jacksonville, legit. Richmond, I saw them lose to Carolina in week two or three. I, I mean, I got my notes on these guys. There's my notes. Yeah, like I'm like they, this team, this team just beats, just beat Virginia. I'm like, how did that happen? Well, because they played a tough schedule. They're really well coached. They got some veterans. They're much better athletically, athletically like right now, and they stayed the course. And so there is that improvement. Lose to North Carolina. Uh, they, they lose to Duke, and they finally get Virginia. So it pays off. And, and I think that's one thing that I've learned is, is you, you don't get better by playing in scrubby teams. Mm-hmm. Like step up and play some good teams because the, your practice the next week will be vastly better. It, it, they, it reveals your flaws. Mm-hmm. It reveals your strengths. And, and, and I think we've seen year in, year out, you know, programs like High Point, Jacksonville, and now Richmond really benefit from stepping up. Absolutely. That was my that was one concern with the Ivies. Um, I wonder if you have the same thing with them not playing since like a real season since 2019. Do you think come late, um, you know, you got guys that are sophomores and even juniors that don't have a ton of experience. Do you think it'll have a wear and tear on their body as well as, you know, the, the shock piece of being in a, an NCAA tournament? Um, or do you think that won't be a factor? Yeah, it could. You know, you talk about that freshman wall and I'm seeing a little of it right now with some freshmen. Uh, out there but again as you said 2020 abbreviated season no 2021 for these guys and all of a sudden you're going to ask them to compete from february march april may four months it's a long year Mm -hmm. Uh, i think penn is built for the long haul i worry about cornell right now they have all sorts of injuries i don't think they're playing well they're not playing as well as their record they were a better team in early march when they were fully healthy when they beat ohio state and, and others so i think they're kind of holding on right now I think Harvard holds the key. Harvard still has to play the good teams in that league. I think we've seen a younger Yale team turn the corner. Uh, Yale's suddenly playing all these guys. I have no clue who they are. The freshmen are second-year sophomore guys. And I'm looking at their roster. I'm like, these new names. <laughs> so I've had to spend a lot of time watching Yale tape and, and, and doing some work to try to catch up with Yale. Uh, and then, as I said, I love Princeton's offense. I just, I just don't know if they have the D – They've been relying on their goalie, Eric Peters, a little too much. You look at his save totals, man. He, he's got to make it teens, 16, 17, 18, 19 saves at every game. But but with that offense, they're dangerous, as, as they prove. So I, I agree with your point about the Ivy Leagues going forward. It's a, it's kind of a wait-and-see approach. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do we got? Three of, They have four more weeks, and then the Ivy League tournament on May 6 and 8 uh, at the home, home venue for the number one seed. So. Uh, well, that's definitely worth keeping an eye on. No question. Totally. For sure. You talked a bit about your preparation kind of in regards to like not being able to see these guys play yet. Cause a lot of, if a lot, a lot of these sophomores and freshmen, like you haven't got to see them play because with how the Ivies have had through the COVID, um, stuff, but talk about your preparation. We've heard that you're a very prepared guy and you like take pride in kind of being prepared heavily for every broadcast. Um, talk to us like what, what is, what goes into your preparation, like coming into a huge game, say this Saturday? Well, I, uh, the film study is, is what I really enjoy doing. And, and, you know, I'll, I'll put it on my calendar. Like tip, I'm going to, I obviously I'm, I'm covering Ohio state 
Kincaid hosting Johns Hopkins this Saturday, ESPN U at noon. Okay. From the big, from the horseshoe. So my focus is on that game. I've seen Hopkins a hundred times. I've seen Ohio state in person and on tape. So I have a little extra time this week to look around okay? who am I likely to see in May? I got to catch up on the Ivy leagues. I haven't done any Ivy league games. So I'm finding myself on the YouTube, watching all the highlights of Princeton games, watching the highlights of Yale games, watching some Harvard. Last night, I watched some Marist uh, against Princeton at seven. I watched a little bit of the Yale game, dusting uh, BU as well. So the app is great, and and the internet is great. I mean, 10 years ago, there was like no film out there. Good luck. It was it was really hard. I, I would have to go to, to teams' offices on a Friday and, and ask to watch clips, and that was valuable. Way back when, I was super lucky when I was working with Lee Felsmo on Toyota Lacrosse Weekly, which aired in the 90s and the early 2000s. I'd go to his house in Annapolis, and he, he, he had freelance shooters around the country, would send us tapes. And then Tuesday, all I do all day is edit into, into highlight packages and voice those packages. So I had access to video from Hofstra, UMass, Syracuse, Virginia, Navy, like, uh, that no one else was seeing. And so like, that was like the, 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 uh, that was like a little gold, little gold mine that we were, we were digging up every week. So people would ask me about a player and I'd say, no, nah, have you seen this guy from, from, uh, Ohio Wesleyan? He's, he's a hundred times better. Like, and they're like, who are you talking about? I'm like, Oh no, this guy, John Grant Jr. From Delaware. He's pretty good. You should check him out. <laughs> so we were always ahead of the trends that way, but that's when video was less accessible. So I, I liked watching the film and then finding the human stories, like what human stories are going to resonate, you know, uh, and what what's been told and, and what do we need to, you know, uh, tell more like this guy, Bobby Van Buren, this defender from from uh, from Ohio State. He's a freshman from Wingate, North Carolina, which is south of Charlotte. It's really in the middle of nowhere. It's right on the the North Carolina, South Carolina border. He was homeschooled. OK, so how does this guy who's homeschooled uh, get recruited? How does he get spotted? He, all he did was play club like he's never been in a locker room. He's never gone to formal practices Monday through Friday. And here he is as a starter in the Big Ten and one of the best players in his class. So that's a fascinating story. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll tell that story. And, and you know, there's always, there's always good stories. You just got to find out uh, what you want to – what stories are worth it and then how you're going to fit them into the broadcast. Yeah, that's awesome. And speaking of storylines with, with our sport, I mean, you were a part of the MLL and, and the call um, for many of those games – uh, and now with the PLL signing with ESPN and um, them continuing to grow and the Rabel brothers just, uh, you know, pushing our sport forward um, more than most could have imagined. Um, just what does that mean to you and, and where do you see our sport going? I think it's huge. I think, you know, it's huge in that, look, the, the, the MLL was on ESPN for a dozen, 12 or so years. And, and I did that coverage with uh, mainly with Joe Beninati from about 2001 until 2012 before CBS took it over and it was, it just aired on ESPN. Okay. The support from the company was very minimal. It was packaged. It was a time buy. So MLL was buying the time. This is a, this is a different relationship. So what the opportunity here is for, for vastly stronger promotion, whether it's promos dropped in NBA basketball games, whether it's more airtime on sports center for highlights, uh, those are critical. Those are huge because that, that's the ESPN machine. And that's where lacrosse is going to benefit. Uh, when, when your product is on a competitive network, let's say NBC last year, like, you, you know, you're not, you might not get your best plays on SportsCenter, but you can count on the fact that this is an ESPN property now, that if somebody scores a crazy behind the back goal, it's going to be plastered all across ESPN, whether it's online, on the app, 
or, or on Sports Center. So that's a huge opportunity for lacrosse. Uh, in, in terms of this summer, we, we haven't been uh, really talked to about the details. I think we're all, all hopeful that will work. Uh, it's, it, it's, it's, a, it's a tremendous amount of content. It's a lot of games. And, uh, you know, given that we all work in the fall covering college football, I think the thought is that hopefully we will all work some this summer. Uh, but not enough to to destroy our our uh, personal and our family lives. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's huge for our sport. Uh, and kind of to wrap things up here, we we can't thank you enough for for coming on today, uh, and, and just can't wait to hear you on on the call for the rest of the games and, and championship weekend for sure. Uh, and just wish you the best of the luck moving forward. Yeah, I'm excited to be in the horseshoe. Nothing like being eight floors up up in the horseshoe, looking down at a hundred thousand empty seats, trying to call a little, little ants. So I'll call the game off the monitor, but I, I do love going to Columbus. The North side deli there is unbelievable for, for ethnic food. Okay. Uh, it's right off the high street. And then next week I got Rutgers at Michigan. I've never been to Michigan to cover a lacrosse game, been there for all sorts of different sports. So that's exciting. And then we got some ACC Thursday night games uh, on the ACC network, which, which uh, over the next, uh, the 14th and the 21st are going to be uh Really, really huge epic games. Yeah, I miss those. Um, I miss like the ACC Thursday night games. I was talking to my one of my buddies the other day, and he was like, he's like, didn't we used to like sit down after practice and like there would be like Thursday night games or Wednesday night games for ACC? And I was like, yeah, I thought so. And then now it's starting to finally happen because it's conference. Yeah, we got like, we got them. We got we got them. You know, obviously we've had to open up to the women, uh, but but they're coming. And the game on the fourteenth and the game on the twenty first is you know Carolina at Notre Dame. It's like a a pseudo playoff game. So uh, we are excited. For sure. Well, thank you again so much um, for coming on and giving us some of your time. I know you're a very busy guy, so we, we appreciate it. And we're looking forward to seeing you on the air the rest of the year and hopefully throughout the summer a little bit. Thank you guys. Appreciate it. It was fun. Take care. Thank you.